Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they show it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted. By Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What's up, everybody? Monday night, Ryan. We don't we don't usually uh, get it locked and loaded this early uh, in the week, but hey, it's AFC Championship Week. Uh, I'll be headed out to Kansas City on Saturday for my first road game of the season. I am pumped. Uh, get you guys some coverage on the ground of this uh, big AFC title game. Uh, but this is going to be a fun week, and we want to get it started the right way by getting into this matchup a little bit tonight. Some of our early thoughts. He's Ryan Talbot. I'm Matt Perino. If this is your first time with us, this is the Shout Buffalo Football Podcast brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets. And if you're watching on our new YouTube page, Buffalo Bills on NY Up, thank you very much. Make sure you hit that subscribe button below. We're trying to get up to uh, a thousand uh, subscribers here. Uh, we're, we're we're getting close. We're we're over the 700 mark. You guys have done an awesome job supporting. If you if you're listening to this on the audio platforms, uh, make sure that you head over to our YouTube page. You can search that uh, Buffalo Bills on NY Up throw the subscription down. And, and that way, uh, when we go live, uh, you'll always get the notification and, and, and you'll be reminded uh, of when we're going live. So uh, a lot of things, uh, a lot of exciting things this week, Ryan. Yeah. We have, we have obviously um, this show tonight and then uh, we'll take a day off tomorrow. Tell everybody a little bit about Wednesday. Oh, Wednesday. We have a big show for you. First, we're, we're going to hit up some local coverage with our good friend Howard Simon from WGR 550. Uh, you know, everyone loves Howard Picks the Bills. Uh, and then after that, we have a pretty special guest that I think maybe you should introduce because that's, you know, this is your realm, Matt. So who do we have next? We are going to um, want to, I mean, I feel like there's a couple new... Um, uh, leaders of the Bills Mafia. There, there's a couple kind of uh, planting their flags all over, you know, the country. Uh, Kyle Brandt probably is one of them. Uh, had had that passion hype video recently. Not Kyle Brandt, but we have the next best thing, and maybe even a better thing, especially this week. Ariel Hawani, uh, ESPN MMA reporter, and I know you're probably sitting here thinking, Matt, I know you were with the UFC. This is not MMA. This is an MMA podcast. I got it. But guess what? Ariel Hawani is a huge Buffalo Bills fan. We're going to talk tons of Buffalo Bills with Ariel Hawani and also 
for some of those MMA enthusiasts amongst you in Bills Mafia. It's a pretty big fight this week. Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier. Ariel sat down with him. Big hour-long uh, interview went up on YouTube on Sunday. So we'll talk to him a ton about that as well. It's very exciting. And then who's our next guest, Ryan? Jason Tartik from The Bachelorette. Bills Mafia, he was a fan favorite the last time he was here. Really knowledgeable uh, on the Bills. And, you know, what a sport the last time. He was actually driving to Buffalo the last time we had him on the show. And, and he still took the time to join us. So hopefully this time it'll be a... He'll be in a sit-down setting. We won't have to, he won't have to worry about driving anywhere. But, yeah, really looking forward to uh, having Jason Tartik back on the show as well. <laughs> See in the, in the comments, we got Matt Perino and Lee Smith there on the right. No, that's not Lee Smith. That's uh, that's Ryan Talbot. Uh, uh, both uh, very uh, good-looking gentlemen, but uh, glad to have Mr. Talbot on the show tonight. Like I mentioned, we are brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets. And this is a little bit of, you know, we have a couple things we're going to hit on. Uh, obviously, Patrick Mahomes, some early thoughts on this matchup. If you have anything specifically you'd like us to talk about, anything that you kind of are thinking about, if you're watching over on Facebook, if you're watching here on YouTube, uh, like we just mentioned, or or over on Twitter, uh, drop in the comment section. We'll we'll get to whatever you guys want to talk about. We got 20, 30 minutes here, and we're going to get into it. Let's start off with Mr. Mahomes because, you know, it's been an evolving situation the last 24 hours since the Kansas City Chiefs defeated and eliminated the Cleveland Browns. Patrick Mahomes went out uh, with uh, what was believed to be a concussion. We still don't really know if that's what he suffered. If you go back and watch the hit, a little bit of a – it seemed like it was maybe a neck injury. Uh, I saw a fan tweet a picture out where you know Patrick Mahomes' helmet was crashing down on the ground, so maybe there was a concussion in there. But the Chiefs cannot talk about it once, the, once a player goes into the concussion protocol. Uh, there's not a lot of um, – information available but Andy Reid seemed really optimistic yesterday when he was talking about it and said he passed everything that he needed to pass last night Patrick Mahomes tweeted last night a couple times about Henny Chad Henny and we'll talk about him in a minute and uh you know the fact that the the pay, the Chiefs won so now it's going to be about Ryan the process of will he won't he play all week and we asked Ryan uh we asked uh, Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier about that today and you know, they got to kind of prepare for two quarterbacks. Yeah, it's something that we'll have to deal with. And, you know, I'm not trying to disrespect Chad Henney here by any means, but I, I think first and foremost, they're going to be preparing for Patrick Mahomes. I, I think they're they're feeling the same way that Andy Reid was in terms of uh, the fact that they're anticipating he will be good to go by Sunday. Like you said, they, the team can't talk about it. Um we don't even know what happened truly. We don't want to speculate about it, but the fact that he's uh, tweeting, you know, anything is possible. And he says all good to Mac Wilson after the game. Uh, it, it leads you to believe that he's on the right track to play. And, and you know, I, I know that some bills fans would say, Hey, I would love to go against Chad Henney instead. I mean, it's, it's a trip to the Super Bowl If you win, I get that. But do you really want there to be that excuse built in if the Bills do win on Sunday? Well, of, well, they didn't have to beat Patrick Mahomes. It was Chad Henney. Uh, you don't want those what ifs. You want to take on the best of the best, and that is Patrick Mahomes. And, and, you know, even if Mahomes does play, something else to keep an eye on, though, is his foot or his leg. He was hobbled in that game before that injury. Uh, they were speculating turf toe on, on the broadcast. Again, we don't know what that was, but he was hobbled for most of that game. He, he wasn't looking himself in terms of mobility. Now, that said, he could still throw the ball pretty accurately. It was having a, a pretty solid game in that respect, but uh, I, I think you're going to see him. That said, Sean McDermott being Sean McDermott, he's going to say everything right about preparing for both QBs. 
Yeah. And, you know, Leslie Frazier came out and he was a little bit more, um, you know, specific, you know, as he tends to be, uh, Sean is, uh, you know, tends to talk around things a little bit, very uh, head coach, Belichickian, if you will, uh, the way that he handles press conferences. But listen, Leslie Frazier said it is going to impact things. I mean, there's a big difference between the reigning MVP and as good as he played in, in a big spot last week in Chan Hedy, uh, just limited a little bit more. But what Sean McDermott did talk about was the ability of Andy Reid to understand his personnel, understand uh, the weapons that he has available, and you know, kind of play that chess match and figure out a way to get them the ball. Now, let's get into this matchup a little bit. Let's go back to week six for a moment because I think that that's an important place to start because the Bills lost 27 to, um, 26, 6, 17. It was yep. a nine-point game. Uh, the Bills were driving late. Josh Allen threw kind of an interception late there. Uh, but it really, I mean, it, the game was about over. Uh, they got outplayed on both sides of the ball. Kansas City ran for almost 250 yards. Uh, Travis Kelsey was a big factor in that five catches, 60-plus yards, and two touchdowns. And Patrick Mahomes, it was kind of a game where he didn't have to do a lot, but when he was do, when when he went back and tried to make plays with his, with his arm, he was able to do it uh, pretty consistently, even though the Bills were kind of opening up the floodgates and letting them run a little bit. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, um, I, he did not play this past week, but I think early reports are that he may be available. And that's kind of a big thing too, Ryan, because not only was he good in that game, but he was, um, I don't think Le'Veon Bell has been very good at all this year, even with Kansas city. And I think that maybe the version of him that we saw with the New York jets is maybe just a little bit more of who he is now. So, um, a lot of things are different about this matchup now, and I'll let you get into some of this, but let me just get this last piece in here. Um, Tredavious White was coming off from an injury when they played the first time. He played against, he missed the game against the Tennessee Titans, came back a week later, didn't look 100%. That is a big piece to the whole puzzle, a healthy Tredavious White. It's, it's not a coincidence to me. There's a couple factors, but it's not a coincidence to me that this, this defense has kind of been trending upwards uh, since that week as Tredavious White has gotten healthier and, and gotten back to that all pro form. He also didn't have Matt Milano. And as you tweeted earlier today, since with a healthy Matt Milano on the field this season, the Bills are 12 and 0. Quite a stat. Yeah. And I was going to go back through this morning and look at all the players that weren't available, but our friend Aaron Quinn at Cover One actually did it. And he tweeted it No Matt Milano, no Levi Wallace, no Dawson Knox, no John Feliciano. Now, Feliciano missed a good portion of the early uh, season with that pec injury. Knox, yeah, Knox has not been a superstar, but he's been more involved towards the end of the season, and that's no coincidence. Big third down conversion uh, against the Ravens this past week. Levi Wallace, you know, lost in everything that happened on, on Saturday night was that sack early in the game by Levi Wallace that really set a tone, that really uh, moved Baltimore back on that drive and eventually led to a missed field goal. We talked about Milano and his athleticism passes defense last week uh obviously their most athletic linebacker the guy that they might put on a Travis Kelsey across the middle uh someone who will have a really big role in the game and then Josh Allen he was still dealing with that injury to his non-throwing shoulder uh and, and as much as I think some of us thought that wouldn't affect him it did and some of these former NFL quarterbacks on those pregame shows were saying hey you know this is about the time where I felt better after I suffered an injury like that I would uh, it forces you to kind of airmail passes, and we were seeing that from Allen at that time. So Allen was injured. Edmonds was still dealing with his injury early in that year, and I believe John Brown was also injured, according to what Aaron Quinn put out there. So, you know, you, you don't want to make 
excuses for the Bills' performance uh, in Week 6. Kansas City was clearly the better team. They could not stop. Edwards Hilary ran for 165. Chiefs as a whole ran for 245. But since Week 12, Week 11, Buffalo has been really good against the run. They've been they, they give up a few big runs here and there, but they've been really solid. And, and it's no coincidence. It's because you have Matt Milano and Edmonds at second level. Uh, you're seeing Justin Zimmer get more push. You're seeing Ed Oliver get push. Quentin Jefferson play well on the inside. And then obviously the edges have been playing pretty well as well, especially Jerry Hughes. So going into this game, I, I think that it is fair to say this isn't the same Bills team that was out there in week six. And they have a legitimate shot of going on the road and winning this AFC championship game. You know, some of my takeaways last night from watching the Cleveland game um, and what they were trying to do offensively is I think the Browns have a much better shot in that game if they have a better quarterback and they have more weapons around that quarterback. And so I think if you look at the the early parts of breaking down this matchup with the Bills and the Chiefs, you think, okay, you got 60 minutes of Josh Allen and Brian Dable to kind of sink their teeth into the Steve Spagnola defense and kind of some of the tricky things that they can throw at you. I mean, they have playmakers at all three levels, specifically on the defensive line and Chris Jones, who, you know, in the playoffs, I mean, that, he is just a different kind of playmaker uh, on, the, on a defensive line. You're not going to see many players – on a D line like Chris Jones throughout the season. And then I'm of course the honey badger, uh, Tyra Matthew. And I also think that they have in, in Breland and a, and a couple of their other secondary players. I'm, I'm excited to kind of break them down in the next couple of days. They have guys that kind of know what's happening on the other side of the ball and the, the, the chances that they can take. And, and they've been to me, a defense that tends to take chances and make plays because of who they know they're playing that they have on their side in this offense with with Kansas City and I I almost think that that's a lot of ways it's like looking into a crystal ball or or, or, or you know maybe like looking into the future if you will and and being able to see what this Bills team might be like 2 3 years into the dynasty. We're going to talk about Brian Dable in a few minutes. He he it looks like he is going to stick around in Buffalo. All reports are indicating that. He didn't really want to get into it too much specifically other today than other than to say he was honored by all the opportunities and, you know, we'll talk about Dable in a minute, but there's some co- real continuity on this offense. I mean, the, the potential, not only for this year, but for the next couple of years is, is really limitless with all the pieces that are in place. But in this matchup, I think that I would give the advantage to the Buffalo offense simply because they didn't have a lot of pieces. They didn't play very well in the first offensively in the first go around. And I, I think that Brian Dable to me in this second iteration of the matchup might have the upper hand in, in, you know, just game planning and scheming. Yeah. And you can go back and you see what worked, what didn't Uh, obviously weather was a factor in that first game as well. There's uh, early reports of a lot of rain for this game too, from what I've seen, but we'll we'll put the weather to the side. You mentioned it. This chiefs team can be aggressive at times. Uh, They they might try to make those plays. So maybe it's a double move from John Brown or, or, you know, Stefan Diggs. Defenses just respect him so much that they're almost not aggressive with him because they know he can beat you deep, but then they give him so much cushion. So maybe he gets more involved. Uh, a lot of questions about how healthy Cole Beasley and Gabriel Davis will be. You know, Beasley's been uh, banged up a little bit, and then obviously Davis uh, hurt himself in this previous game too. But the Bills have the weapons to match up with that defense. Uh, and if the Chiefs are as aggressive as we've seen at times, I, I think there are big plays to be had. Uh, but at the same time, you saw it this week on Saturday, Matt. The Ravens, one of the most blitz-happy teams in the league, 
respected Josh Allen so much and what he's done this year against the Blitz that they went away from their identity. So what do the Chiefs do on Sunday night? You know, time will tell, but maybe they do back off a little bit because they don't want to get beaten by Josh Allen uh, and and have him hit the big play and get that momentum early in the game. It's going to be one of those interesting chess matches to watch. Yeah, Brian talked a little bit today about complimentary football, which obviously is obviously always the goal week in and week out, but it's an important this week. I mean, I think that they got some things going in the second half, and I know that the way that they've evolved the offense, obviously they've put a premium on pass protection and you could see with the way that they play. And I feel like they've lost a little bit of their mojo that they had last year as a run blocking front. Um, and it's kind of bled into why they've struggled at times to run the ball this year. But this is a game where if you can run the ball at all, I think that it will behoove the bills to try to do that. A uh, couple questions in here about Kenny Stills. Um, I think Kenny Stills and Devonta Freeman are much more in play this week than they were uh, a week ago. And uh, depending on the the lineup situation, Daryl Johnson's injury status, what we see on Wednesday when we get the first injury report of the week, are there any? Is there anybody banged up from this Baltimore? A physical game uh, against the Ravens. If there's anybody that kind of pops up on the injury report, it's going to be interesting to see the how Sean McDermott and Brian Dable massage or Sean McDermott, but offensively what Brian Dable can do with Sean McDermott's decisions, how they massage this roster a little bit and who they make active, who they don't, because, you know, I think this could be a game where if you, if you feel like he's comfortable and you can get him 10, 10 snaps, why not activate Kenny Stills if you have the room, but that's the thing. Will they have the room? Yeah, that, that's the question to ask. And I think that worst case scenario, this would be the week that you at least elevate him from the practice squad. Uh, like we've seen the Bills do the past few weeks with Antonio Williams and Dane Jackson last weekend. Uh, I, I felt like it was an insurance policy at both positions in case something happened leading up to the game. You could play one of them if, if you had to. So do that with Kenny Stills, knowing full well that Gabriel Davis is a little bit hampered knowing that Cole Beasley is hampered. And then one, if one of them can't go, he can play. Or two, if you feel like, okay, well, they might be limited. We might need him for those 10, 15 snaps like you mentioned. Well, then then you have that tough decision of who goes inactive. But at least they would have that uh, decision to make if you elevate them first and foremost. I do feel like Stills has been here long enough now to have a good grasp of this offense. He is a veteran in this league. He, He understands the concepts. Uh, Devonta Freeman to a, a lesser extent as well. I don't know if they would go that route with Freeman yet, uh, just because I, I think that they still trust Yeldon. Yeldon didn't do anything to break that trust on Saturday night. They still have Antonio Williams, who did show something in Week 17, and I get the he's an undrafted free agent. It's a big moment. Not a lot of tape there in terms of knowing what he can and cannot do in terms of protecting the ball, uh, but he's also been in the system for an entire year, so. Those are some of the decisions to to be had, and those are good decisions to be had, that that you have such quality players on your practice squad that you can elevate them, uh, and they could be in play to play in this AFC Championship game. Dable, Josh Allen, and uh, we'll get to uh, game plan stuff, too, uh, when we get back. Ready for football? Tops is. With ready-to-serve fan favorites, everyone will cheer for. Delicious family or party packs like pizza, sliders, fried chicken, barbecue, or beef on whack. Starting at only $4 per serving. Perfect for game day and any day. Only at Tops. So Leslie today uh, was asked about, you know, how do the Bills approach this second matchup? Because you saw what worked 
the first time around, what didn't work, maybe more so uh, with letting the, the the Chiefs run on them a little bit. But well, they scored 26 points at the end of the day. And I think this is going to be a, a shootout. I think it's going to come down to Josh Allen versus Patrick Mahomes if he plays. Who's able to make more plays? Which offense is able to uh, take advantage of, of, of their possessions? Uh, but let's get into what the Bills learn from that first matchup and how they can apply those lessons to this matchup. And I think first and foremost, to our earlier points, having the collection of players available to you now that I think kind of lend to the thinking that you're going to probably be better as a tackling football team. I think that's what they, what really impressed me most about last week and, you know, Edmonds and Milano in the, in the, in the cornerback specifically. I mean, listen, Leslie even talked about this. The Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, one of the best safeties, you know, duos in the league and two of the best safeties in the league. And a big part of that is because how well-rounded they are. They're able to kind of get up in the box, get physical, you know, be those kind of, uh, you know, hybrid linebackers at times, especially Poyer. Um, and so I think that's going to be a key to this game is, you know, tackling. I think that they were dealing with a situation that they were thrown into with Milano's injury where they were trying to get AJ Klein up to speed in a hurry. He has mentioned um, over the course of the season that he was uncomfortable at the start because he played middle linebacker in, in for a while in New Orleans and Carolina, and he had never really been asked to play that uh, outside will role that uh, Matt Milano plays so well. And so I think as as he kind of progressed in the season, he got more comfortable in it. You saw him play a little bit better. And obviously we saw him last week as they went to the stack 4-3 uh, for a big chunk of that game that we've been waiting for all season. And it looks like Leslie and uh, Sean were just waiting to, to unleash it uh, against the Baltimore Ravens team. But I think that that's a big key component is, I know it's boring, but fundamentally tackling. If This is a game where if you let these guys run after the catch, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, they're going to burn you down the field. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if Buffalo's blueprint or game plan for this matchup was very similar to the week six uh, plan in terms of don't let them beat you deep. Don't let them hit that big play uh, because you said it. Hill can beat any corner one-on-one -on, -one on this team. He's that fast. He's that dynamic. Uh, but if you take that away, that element away, and you uh, have all of those weapons that were out the first game on the field, one, you're going to be better at limiting the run when you're challenging them. You're daring them to, to run openly, and you have – Milano, who we still don't know where he's at health-wise with that pec injury, but obviously the way he's been playing, it's night and day from what we saw when he first suffered it. Uh, when he was trying to play through it, he was really hampered in terms of tackling, in terms of mobility. So I, I think in terms of his being as close to 100% as, uh, as a player can be, that's where we're at right now with Milano. Edmonds, he was dealing with a shoulder injury. He was having trouble tackling uh, he's going to be fine in this game in terms of that area. The, the line's been playing better. Challenge them to run, make it look like that you know that it's open for them. Dare them to do it, and then trust your front seven to be steady tacklers to be uh, to stay in their gaps, which we saw on Saturday night to do their one eleventh as cliche as that is. Because I think if you go in with a similar game plan and you have all those weapons back and healthy they can execute it a lot better than what they had tried to do in week six. A couple of things in the comments here. Uh, where has Tyler Croft been? He was a healthy scratch again. And I think that they've moved to a point now where they fully trust Dawson Knox and his ability to be that tight end one, uh, do a little blocking, uh, be that pass catcher, uh, at the position, and then Lee Smith, they have, uh, and Reggie Gilliam is the guy that plays a lot of special teams for them. And in, a, in an offense with as many receiver weapons, and as much as they're willing to send out four wide receiver sets and you know empty sets, 
you just don't need a surplus of tight ends with, you know, the, the, the three that they roster right now, they all serve a specific purpose. And I think that Tyler Croft is almost that insurance at this point, a lot like Trent Murphy proved to be last week, where if something does happen with Dawson Knox, you know, you have a veteran in Croft that could come in and make plays, but I think they like the upside of Knox a little bit more. He's scoring. I mean, that, that's, that's the big, big, big thing about uh, his production made a big play on a screenplay last week. I think it was on a third and short uh, third and two against the Ravens. Uh, and so he, you know, the more reps that they can get him and, and, and as the chemistry, and that's something that Dawson's talked about, the chemistry with him and uh, Josh has come a long way since he came back from injury. I think that's what they're trying to build upon. Uh, Jim says, I, I think the bills played tougher defenses against the Colts and the Ravens. There'll be some big opportunities for Allen to put up some, some points uh, against KC. And that's a great point because they really did have to run the early gauntlet here. I mean, Baltimore and, and Indianapolis both, both posed unique, different, but very significant challenges to this Bills offense in different ways. And in a lot of ways, the Ravens, for as good as they are as a man team and a blitzing team, as you mentioned earlier today, they kind of took a little page out of the book of the Colts and what worked for them and taking away the deep part of the field. And it was a struggle. Now, I know that the win was a problem, but it was a struggle to attack down the field. And I don't think that that necessarily will be the case. I know that there's some weather concerns, some some rain potentially. Uh, but I, I do think that this is a much more advantageous situation. And I just go back to the fact that, I think the team that plays poorly the first time around in the rematch, I think there's there's kind of just this unspoken thing where it's like there's only the only place to go is up from from what happened the first time around, and I and I just like some of the matchups, and I think that Stephon Diggs and and John and uh, Josh Allen, they were kind of figuring out on the fly what to do without a healthy John Brown, and I I can't remember now if he played against Tennessee and then missed Casey or if he played against Tennessee. Uh, or didn't play against Tennessee and then played hurt against KC. But either way, it wasn't the John Brown that played the first month of the season and the John Brown that's been available the last couple of weeks. So, you know, there was a lot of learning in, in that time of the season. And I think the Stephon Diggs, Josh Allen combo, the Chiefs face now is a significant challenge and one that I'm not, I look around, I don't know. There were so many good cornerbacks last week. You take your pick, you could throw any of them on Stephon Diggs. This week, I think they'll all be challenged. Oh, yeah. And going back to last week, just briefly, all we heard, I think, in the lead up to that game was how good those cornerbacks were, the top three, and how they were going to try to take Stefan Diggs out and make Allen go to someone else. They couldn't take Diggs out. 11 targets, eight receptions, over 100 yards, and a touchdown. Diggs at this point can beat you deep. He can beat you in the intermediate area. And then if you're giving him that cushion, he can break off a route. And then there's that huge gap for him to make the catch. And then do something after it as well. So right now, that chemistry, I mean, it's been off the off the charts all season. There's a reason that uh, Diggs' end of the year is the leading receiver in yards and receptions. But they're even playing at a higher level right now, uh, obviously, than they were at week six. Brown stepped up big time with Beasley and Gabriel Davis not having any catches last week. Eight catches on 11 targets himself, 60 some, uh, 62 yards, if I remember correctly. So... They have so many weapons that even when one or two players do get bracketed or do get taken out of the game, there's still someone else to step up. I think that this passing attack can do a lot better than what we saw in week six. Uh, and that gives, you know, that should give the Bills fans a lot of optimism heading into the game. Let's talk about, um, we'll, we'll talk about Josh Allen still because I think, um, you know, he's been, um, 
he's been solid in these first uh, two games. I think he's done what they've asked him to do. Obviously, it wasn't clicking in the first half. He 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 engineered the drive, what ended up being the game winning drive, and 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 did enough, I think, to um, help the Bills win. But without putting him in any situations where you know losing plays, turnover worthy plays, I think he had the one fumble that. Uh, did he did he fumble once in the game? I'm, yes. I might be like, yes, yep. he had the one fumble uh, that didn't cost him too bad. So uh, we'll talk about him, but let's get into Brian Dable a little bit. Um, you know, it's always this awkward dance that's done um, <laughs> following the the courting process in the NFL. And I think that I think in a lot of ways Dable was at a disadvantage, as I think Eric Bieniemy has been at a disadvantage for years because your team goes so far in the playoffs. And you kind of got to play this cat and mouse, this wait and see. And I think in a lot of cases, teams get a little bit antsy. And we saw that kind of play out in, in Los Angeles with the Chargers. Like, listen, I think Brandon Staley uh, it might end up being a great young head coach. Who knows? I mean, it's it's kind of a crapshoot. Uh, nobody really knows a ton about him. There's people that are excited about him. But for as many as Sean McVay's of the world there, are Kyle Shanahan's, there's, you know, a million other coaches that, that don't pan out. So we'll wait and see. And a lot of people thought that Brian Dable was the perfect fit for Justin Herbert in that offense, but we'll see what they do with the offensive uh, play caller position. But I think that that's what it probably came down to. I'd wager that it had probably more to do with the Chargers not wanting to wait any longer uh, on, on Dable, more so than maybe him not being a fit or him maybe f- not impressing in the draft in the interview process, maybe Staley just impressed enough and, and they were antsy enough to be like, you know what? We just don't feel comfortable waiting. Yeah, I think that's exactly. I mean, if they did not agree to terms with Staley, he was going to Philadelphia, I believe today, or maybe it was later right. yesterday for another interview. And it's a game of musical chairs. You can be set on one guy, but the longer you wait, that's less time for these coaches to put their staffs together. It's less time for them to uh, start putting in work on prospects with the, you know, the draft. I know it's months away, but little things like that. And it adds up. And if you felt like Staley was just as impressive as Brian Dable and you can have him now and you think that he can improve that defense uh, and you, you know, you, you have, you're going to have some impressive offensive minds wanting that job uh, offensive coordinator that is in Los Angeles with, Herbert and Eckler and those wide receivers. So at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. And then probably choosing uh, Staley over Brian Dable. But you and I have said from the get-go, Matt, we said there were three jobs and I'm going to eliminate Houston because that was one of them. We didn't know how bad it was in terms of that organizational structure, what was going on behind the scenes. That was one of the jobs though, because of Deshaun Watson, who knows what happens there. So throw that one away. Going into these open vacancies, there were two jobs that we thought he was a good fit for, Jacksonville and the Chargers. Jacksonville was smitten with Urban Meyer from the start, and Dable seemed like their uh, second, third candidate in in terms of who they would want if they were turned down by Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer eventually agrees to terms, so that job's taken. Uh, The opportunity to work with Trevor Lawrence, the opportunity to have a lot of cap space, a good young undrafted free agent running back and and DJ Chark, uh, that's gone out the window. And we'd already mentioned the Chargers. The Chargers were a good fit, and when they hired Staley, there's really not much left. We're not even going to talk about Houston. The only other job left is Philadelphia. And the report out there is he is not interested whatsoever in Philadelphia. He didn't say anything today to make us think otherwise. 
They're a little bit of a mess behind the scenes too. They have some tough decisions to be making at the quarterback position, uh, which messes up the cap there. So why force yourself into a job that you could be, you know, find yourself out of in a few years when you can stay in Buffalo for another season, knowing you have Josh Allen coming back for year four, knowing that you reached the AFC title game, if not further than that this year, and you still have Steph Diggs and you still have Cole Beasley and John Brown and Gabriel Davis. And the list goes on and on. You don't leave a situation like that unless you feel like you are going to a head coaching situation that is at least its equivalent. Well said. I don't think I have anything to add on, 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 day, <laughs> on the table front, uh, but let's get a little into Josh Allen before we get out of here. And we're going to talk more about him. Trust me. The next couple shows, we'll have a show on, on Wednesday and Friday. Um, but where are you at in terms of the weight on Josh Allen in this game, the pressure on Josh Allen in this game? Because in a lot of ways, we've talked about it. I feel like they're at the stage now where they're kind of playing with house money. I think that they've surpassed, they've greatly surpassed expectations. Um, I said mine going in the season were a playoff win, the AFC East title. Um, they now have two playoff wins. And, you know, Josh Allen, in, in while neither of the two games were, you know, one of those fire-blazing statistical uh, eye-poppers uh, that, that he's kind of gotten fans used to seeing at times this year, he was really solid in both, even when things weren't going his way. I thought that um, the offense as a whole, whether it was the wind or otherwise, it just it wasn't clicking against kind of – it almost looked like it was like, a, well, damn. You know, we we thought you were going to pressure. You're not pressuring at the same rate. You're playing kind of a funky little zone defense here, and it just looked like they were they were caught off guard in that they didn't look as comfortable as they usually do. And so that, that's a pill that you swallow, and you, you 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 look at what your defense was able to do. And I think that that gives you confidence as a team, both sides of the ball. Like that's what I take away from last week more than anything. Is you know I saw a couple of people tweeting about how the offense played bad last week and. You know, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if I would say that they were bad. Listen, they, I definitely think you want to score more points in that game. Um, but what I think they take away from it more than anything is a reinvigoration of what this defense is able to do now and the, and the confidence that the offense can now have in the defense. And we, you know, we talked to Lorenzo Alexander over the years and obviously on the show a couple of times about the importance of, um, complimentary football goes further than just, of course, wanting to play good on both sides of the ball. It, I feel like you feed off of each other a little bit. And you saw the way after Taron Johnson picked that ball off and he ran down uh, the sidelines and Trey White got out and was blocking for him. And, you know, just unbelievably iconic play. What's the first thing that you see on social media? The pictures, the, you know, Josh Allen jumping up on the back in the background, Reggie Gilliam doing some type of dance down the field, like kind of like rolling and just celebrating. And then Deion Dawkins flying all the way down to celebrate with the defense. And, you know, that's a vibe right now. What's going on on both sides of the ball and special teams had a real big comeback game. I thought the return of the 34 was a big one for uh, Andre Roberts. I believe that was in the touchdown drive. Um, so, I think that sometimes even when, you know, your the strength of your team isn't what leads you to victory per se, that they were able to make some plays and kind of let the defense take the lead for a change in a game that was always going to be physical and the weather kind of dictated the way it was going to be played. 
I think this is an ultra confident team going in to this game with more chips put on their shoulders. They're going to be doubted all week long because that's the fun thing to do to Buffalo and the bills in the media on the national stage. And I think they're going to take a lot of that. And I think this is going to be a game. And I think this is going to be a back and forth. And I think it might be, you know, one team goes up two scores and then maybe the other team comes back and goes up a score. But I have I I have all the feelings right now on Monday. We have two more shows. Check in with me on Friday. <laughs> that this is going to be a heavyweight back and forth slugfest. I, I think that's well said. And you know, in in terms of Josh Allen, he was the best player on the field in that Colts game. But you're right, the stat line wasn't gaudy. I, I think we got a little spoiled at the end of the season, and some of that had to do with the competition. I know the Patriots still had a good defense, and the Broncos on paper, and the Dolphins as well were all high up there. Uh, but those were games where the Bills were were riding high. Those teams, minus the Dolphins, knew that their years were over in terms of the playoffs. Uh, and they were just, you know, going out and slinging it around with great success. And Allen was putting up monster numbers. It gets tougher in the playoffs. You're playing against the best of the best. And the Colts proved to be a phenomenal opponent. Great defensive line play. They were solid on the back end. And Allen was still the best player out there on the field that day. Uh, against the Ravens, the win played a factor. He had Stefan Diggs for six down the sidelines early in that game, and the and the win just carried it away. Uh, there were some missed throws that there were some longer throws early in drives that put them behind the chains that forced them into those four play, five play drives early on. But at the same time, the Ravens did a good job of holding the ball, sustaining drives, keeping Josh Allen and the Bills off the field. So I, I felt like it was almost an incomplete game for him. Uh, where I, I didn't feel it was a bad game. It's just he didn't get the, the opportunities. Uh, he comes out in the second half, leads the touchdown drive. Then right after that, the pick six by Taron Johnson. So that's the defense on the field for a really long drive. I believe the Bills drive and that pick six drive, by the time those two drives were over in the, the third quarter, there's only like 40 seconds left in the quarter itself. So that third quarter went by insanely fast with just two drives essentially uh, being played. So... I feel like as the game went on, he was getting better. He was hitting some big throws, not necessarily on third down. That's one concern I have in this game is they have not been sharp on third downs as they were in the regular season. But he was making some impressive throws to Brown and to Diggs uh, to to get you know short, intermediate chunks of yardage. But I just feel like you've seen one game where Allen carried the team. You saw one game where the defense was the spe- specialty. Maybe, just maybe, and I feel like we've been waiting for this all year. Maybe on Sunday night, it's the game where the offense and the defense are playing at a high level at the same time. I feel like we haven't seen that enough. And if that happens, look out. I I, I think it is a heavyweight battle regardless, but if you get the defense creating one turnover, two turnovers, and this offense playing like what we've seen them doing this season, the Bills can make a major statement they can erase any doubt from anyone that's out there. And I know the only people really critiquing him still are the shock jocks that do it for ratings and and to get uh, reactions. But if they get to the Super Bowl and it's over Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, there's no doubt left about the legitimacy of this team. There shouldn't be right now, but that, that leaves no doubt. And then all of a sudden you look ahead and it's, is it Josh Allen versus Aaron Rodgers? And I don't want to get too far. Like you said, we have two more shows, Matt, but, Ooh, boy, would that be a matchup, a quarterback that he's been compared to. Or is it fate where you get Tom Brady <laughs> in Tampa? You know, that's the only thing that would bother me is, is getting, seeing the Buccaneers get to play in their home stadium in the Super Bowl. Uh, that well, that would be – Let me ask you a question, though, Ryan. Yeah. 
not only in a regular year, but you got to remember the Super Bowl is different. Like people are coming in from all over the place. But even if it was a home game at limited numbers, how much of a home game is it after the Bills just played these last two games in front of 6,700 people that sounded like 67,000 on Saturday? I mean, what we heard in that stadium, I don't, I don't think will ever be replicated by any fan base, even in this weird COVID p- pandemic. I mean, you put up a story on it. Offensive linemen from the Ravens were talking about how they had to go to a silent count because they couldn't hear. And that kind of messed with, with everything in, in terms of the fundamentals and the, just their technique of getting, just executing basic movements. So I, to your point, yeah. Would it stink? Maybe, but m- there's a piece of me and like, I, I think I'll, uh, pe- people ask me about this all the time. We, 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 we were just on a show last week where, you know, they were talking to us, the, our buddies, um, Jay Spence and uh, Joe Miller. And they were talking about uh, just the implication that we're just kind of both fans of, of the Bills. And I know it's like a weird thing. Um, it's, a, it's a weird dynamic to talk about because I'll always have passion for Buffalo and this franchise. I grew up, it's, it's ingrained in my family, my father, my grandfather, uh, my uncles, my brother, my mother, my sisters, like everybody, like our, our diehard Bills fans. And my wife was with with my son Lucas and uh he had his little Josh Allen jersey on before the game and she had her Bill shirt on. But I just explained to people that it just gets a little bit different when you cover the team. You have to have you have to have a certain respect for the job that you have and where you are at, like when you're in the locker room and on these press conferences and you just have to carry yourself in a different way. And when that happens, it just it changes the dynamic for you a little bit. But I will say, no matter what, I'll always have kind of like a disdain for the Patriots. Like that's <laughs> it's like my dad. Like if you bring up Dan Reno and the Dolphins around him, it's just the conversation is going to turn a little bit. So to me, to watch the Bills go up against Tom Brady, uh, just knowing the history there. I mean, what an unbelievable storyline it was it would be in it ever since he went to Tampa. I mean, that's kind of like the rumblings, you know, the the murmurs that you've kind of heard. Like, could you imagine the Buffalo Bills after all these years of torment? If he goes to Tampa Bay to to have this storybook ending where he gets to break away from Bill Belichick and win on his own, and somehow the lowly Buffalo Bills are the ones to be the the uh, the foil in the end. I mean, what a story it would be. Um, but yeah, a couple really great options. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, like you said earlier, I don't have much to add to that, but it, it would be a phenomenal storyline. There'd be a lot well, of talking points going into it for sure. Since you say that, there's one more thing I do want to get into. Uh, and while we have the time here, uh, and it's probably not going to get brought up in the next two shows because we're going to be so chief centric, but let's get into this whole Nick Wright, Skip Bayless, Colin Cowherd. Um, Marcel Louis Jacques, a friend of the show, uh, he's been on a couple of times. We'll have him on again soon. Um, he tweeted out today, kind of a joke, like you guys know that and you guys, he's referring to Bill's mafia, that these talking heads, they put the bills and Josh Allen and anything that they can in their mouths because it sells because Bill's mafia is going to scurry onto anything that's produced content wise on the bills, especially at the national level. I mean, that's what great fans do is they consume gobs of content all the time. And at this time, at this stage, of course, like you say something about the bills and you know, add attention, everybody's going to kind of, and there's been a lot of the fan base that has wised up to it and kind of understood that, you know, that they're doing that for a purpose. But today, the reason I bring this up is because 
Skip Bayless of all people. And what's funny about Skip is he used to be a really like a respected, like a really good journalist back in the day, but this talking, this, this first take era, um, the opportunity that they saw to, um, you know, turn what used to be like journalistic dialogue into this talk radio, but it's not even talk radio. It's worse. It's just some of the stuff that comes out of their mouths is just hard to stomach. And you know, I have a lot of respect for Stephen A. Smith as, as a guy that's really carved a path for himself in the industry. And at times I, I find myself pretty engaged with his content, but skip is, this is a joke. And he said today that he would take, if you asked him right now today, he would take Baker Mayfield over Josh Allen, he called him more of a leader. First and foremost, skip, you completely outed yourself in that moment knowing, and I'm not calling Baker Mayfield a bad leader. As a matter of fact, some of the things that I've read this year on Baker Mayfield is he's taken serious strides in that department. You know, he might be a guy that, you know, rallies the, the group, but I don't think that there's a lot of young quarterbacks, if any young quarterbacks in the league right now, where that leadership piece is any better than Josh Allen. So that was first and foremost in my book where you lost me. Then he was talking about accuracy concerns. <laughs> it's a simple statistic. And, and, and it's not even really, if you talk to real, you know, smart football folks, it's not even really a metric that you want to use to, to really judge accuracy because completion percentage can be deceiving. But if that's what you want to use, because it's a, it's an easy box score stat, go pick it up, skip, go, go check out the completion percentage. It's up 11 points. So listen, they're trying to get you riled up. What were, what were your thoughts, Ryan, when you, when you saw that today? Yeah, it's riling you up either way because you mentioned Colin Cowherd as well. And, and Cowherd said the Bills are the best team in the NFL a few weeks ago. So I think if it's really positive, the Bills Mafia flock to it. If it's really negative, the Bills Mafia flocks to it. And I can't blame them. They went through this long drought of nothingness where they were they were never bad enough to get that uh, game-changing, life-altering quarterback with like the first overall pick. They had to wait 17 years and get to this 2018 draft class where Josh Allen happened. So good or bad, they're going to flock to things. But yeah, negative reactions sell. So Nick Wright, even you know, with the backhanded compliment, enjoy it now because Mahomes is going to end it next week. Your season's going to end. That's going to get a lot of eyeballs on him. Wednesday, there's going to be a lot of people tuning in to hear him or to see him get covered in the ketchup and mustard, get the, the Pinto Ron treatment. Uh, and even Mike Greenberg today said that, and I'm just paraphrasing here, one, Baker Mayfield is the best, uh, most improved quarterback this season, which, again, I don't know how you can say that with a straight face uh, based on what Josh Allen has done from year two to year three. And, and this, again, not slamming on Baker Mayfield. He led his team into the playoffs. But in a game where you were within a score, they punted. Uh, and, and I get it was a, a lo- it would have been a long conversion, but they punted late in that game, pretty much saying that they're not sure that that Baker would have been able to make that play for this team. And, and they left some points on the board, obviously with, with uh, diving for the end zone and, and the touchback. But they had a great opportunity to do, to defeat a Kansas City Chiefs team without Patrick Mahomes, and they failed. And, and at the end of the day, that's what it is. It was a failure. They they didn't come through against the the second team quarterback, or they couldn't do enough to beat that team. So I don't know how you can sit there with a straight face after those games and say Baker Mayfield is the better QB. Well, no, he's not. He's sitting on his couch for a reason next week, watching the AFC Championship game. Over time, could it happen? Sure, but it, it's not right now. But Greenberg said something along those lines. Lamar and Josh Allen are similar, except for one has Stephon Diggs, one doesn't. That's not true either. I like Lamar Jackson a lot. 
He is dynamic. He showed he can make some big throws uh, on the run in, in that game on, on Saturday night, but it, it's night and day, and that offense is so run heavy. Who knows if he does any kind of offensive weapons in there unless it's via the draft because who wants to – what wide receiver wants to go to an offense like that where you know it's going to be running most of the time and your opportunities are going to be limited? It's a tough sell. So, yeah, the, people are going to be bashing Josh Allen just to get eyeballs on their content, just to get people watching, but don't take them seriously. You've seen Josh Allen. You've seen the leaps and bounds that he's made. There's a reason he's in the MVP conversation and Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson are not this year. Allen's been one of the best three players in this league, bar none, end of discussion. Yeah, I was uh, thinking about a uh, all the stuff I want to get into before we get out of here. Um, but I think that, you know, the, I guess I'll just say quickly before we, we transition out, I can't stand that lazy argument where you're you're taken away from the quarterback based on the receiver that he has because that's the point of the game is to get a elite number one wide receiver look at the great ones that are left patrick mahomes has tyree kill and really it's not even tyree kill in that offense it's travis kelsey who i would call their number one option i mean he led the nfl in receiving for most of the season you have tom brady who has mike evans who's dealt with a lot of injuries but when healthy is a true number one wide receiver Devontae Adams, as good as Stephon Diggs has been in this game, this season, I might even make the argument that Devontae Adams, if you're power ranking receivers right now, he might be number one for me and Stephon Diggs might be 1B. Um, I don't know. I'd go back and forth any day because I've seen up close and personal what Stephon Diggs is able to do, and he's an absolute freak and has every right to the claim of number one receiver in the NFL. He's played like it. The stats are there. But it's just nonsense, And, and I've seen it where you give good players to young quarterbacks and they don't take advantage of it. I think that it's kind of a knock on Baker Mayfield that he wasn't able to make it work with Odell Beckham Jr. Look at some of the quarterbacks that Odell Beckham Jr. has played with and has had success. I mean, listen, Eli Eli Manning's won Super Bowls and as much flack as he's got, he's a pretty good quarterback. But, you know, Odell Beckham has been a guy that has been a proven commodity in this league, a guy that can make plays, was in that conversation uh, among elite receivers. Uh, earlier in his career before he went to Cleveland and started playing with Baker Mayfield. So chill with that. I like what's going on in Cleveland as well with Baker. Uh, But I think what Josh Allen has done this year, if you've watched all the games, which we have, and to some of the points in the comments, we don't talk about the national guys that much. Uh, The talking head folks, the, um, you know, the first takes and the, I don't know what Skip's show is called. Um, I don't watch it. And I don't know what Shannon Sharp said either because I didn't make it to that portion of the clip. But, um, you know, put it where it's where it belongs. And I think just enjoy the ride. And this week's going to be a fun ride. So I'm excited about it. Any final thoughts on that, Ryan? No final thoughts. I, I do see some uh, Sabres fans in the comments saying that they're up to nothing. I, I kind of jabbed the fan base a little bit. Not intentionally before the show. I said, fun fact, if the Sabres lose tonight, they'll have as many losses on the year as the Bills. I, I think some of them found it funny. Some were said too soon. So I'm very happy <laughs> that the saves are up to nothing. I do enjoy watching them. I hope they win tonight and uh, get on track here. So fingers crossed for the Sabres and that fan base. Final thought for me, kudos Bills Mafia, $360,000 uh, donated to Lamar Jackson's charity. Uh, what a really cool moment. There was an exchange at the airport with some Bills and Ravens fans um, where Lamar uh, stopped for a moment uh, to take some pictures and sign some autographs 
uh, even after suffering the concussion in the game uh, against the Bills, a 17 to three loss. Uh, the the charity is blessings in a backpack. Uh, the money's going to go to help underprivileged young children, and that's just awesome. And I know we don't even have to talk about this anymore. This is just what Bills fans do. It's it's kind of become uh, their calling card in a lot of ways. Um, but I do want to shout out to um, Josh Norman. Uh, started a really awesome drive before Christmas. And um, let me just look it up here because I don't want to. It's 24 stars. Yeah, Star 24. And that's just the name of its foundation. If you go to stars24.org, you can hit the Buffalo Business Blitz. And once you get there, you can make a donation for any amount to uh, this charity, this drive that's raising money. Uh, they have raised, let's see what their thing is here. They're almost at $500,000 of a million goal, uh, and, uh, which is awesome. And Wegmans donated, uh, Buffalo Bills Social Justice Fund donated, Riches Products donated. Um, and it's a really cool initiative that is trying to generate money for local Buffalo small businesses that are in need in the middle of this awful pandemic. And listen, I'm all for helping children. And, you know, the Oshai uh, drive was phenomenal. And some of these other charities that you've seen uh, Bills fans donate to over the years, Andy Dalton's, Lamar Jackson's and so on and so forth. But this is a cool one too, that um, close to home could help some of your neighbors that might be struggling, trying to keep their business afloat. Um, I'm planning a a donation myself. I'm going to share that out this week. And, uh, it's, uh, it's just an awesome, it's a cool thing for Norman too, because that's something I've been really impressed about with, with Josh is that, you know, he came in here and a, a lot like Stefan Diggs, there was a little bit of a narrative out there about him. And he's come in here from the very moment, step to the forefront, uh, early on in the, in, in the, in the calls for, uh, or, or in the, um, folks upset with social injustice, he came into the Buffalo community as a brand new free agent and started talking up what he wanted to do uh, to spread the message, did a little bit of a tour uh, to a bunch of different cities to talk about it. And then he started this and it's, it's growing. Go follow Joe Croom. If you don't on social media, Ryan, you shared it. Why don't you tell them a little bit about what he's doing? Yeah. And Joe Croom, he was on the show earlier this year. Uh, He was the one that went out and photographed the uh, first initial meeting between Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs. He is doing a contest right now that will benefit Josh Norman's foundation. If you send $29 uh, to him, it gets you an entry. And he is running a contest where the winner will get two tickets to the AFC Championship game. So for every $29 entry that you make to Josh Allen's, uh, to Josh Norman's foundation, I should say, uh, you are entered to win. So he wants you to only do them $29 increments, but you can do it as many times as you want to get more entries. And the winner will walk away with two tickets to the AFC Championship game. Really uh, cool of Joe to do that, but also, you know, hey, $29. Even if you lose, you're doing good for local businesses in Buffalo, and if you win $29, you're going to the AFC Championship game. Awesome stuff. Bill's Mafia, you are awesome. Keep doing what you do, and while you're here, hit that subscribe button, like this video, trying to grow this channel, get to 1,000 subscribers, maybe even before Sunday when we uh, are... Uh, Sunday when we go live, I'll be in Kansas City, Ryan. So we're gonna have to figure out the. Uh, this will be the first time this season where we're really gonna have to test the setup on the road. We'll see if I can get the equipment, and I, I apologize in advance if maybe the audio is not as 
strong as it usually is. We've we've obviously had technical difficulties at, at different stages of the show, but uh, we're so appreciative of all of you guys coming along for the ride. Find us on all of the uh, audio platforms, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Google. Subscribe, rate, and review there. It really helps us out. And we will see you on Wednesday night. Monster show. I'm even tossing around the idea of maybe even a little special fourth mystery guest. I like those mystery guests when you just throw somebody on the screen at the end. Uh, we might do that as well. So thank you so much, guys. Enjoy the week. Uh, drop any questions. Uh, DM us. Email us. Whatever you want. Uh, we'll get into them uh, on Wednesday and then Friday when we have our big Buffalo, Kansas City preview show. All right, guys. Take care. Ready for football? With every game a home game, Tops is ready for you with its TV a day giveaway. For six weeks, every day you shop is a new chance to win a massive 70-inch 4K TV. Shop Tops for the best deals in town, in-store, or online to win.